Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. I hope you enjoyed Anton Deck. I think uh, we, may, we may well continue that theme at some stage, uh, possibly. Let's just see. They were, they were great, weren't they? It's, uh, it's so great to, uh, to see you here. We, we're, in, we're in the second part of a teaching series that we've called Last Words, and it's slowly becoming, actually it's quickly becoming, my favorite teaching series for, our, for our, a period of time. It's great. And the reason it's becoming really important to me is because, do you know there, are, uh, there is a sense in which, no, let me start that sentence again. The truth is that all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is, the the Greek word is the word theonustos. It means breathed out of the heart of God, out of the mind of God. God has has poured his his stuff into our hearts and lives. Theonustos, God breathed. But there is a sense in which there are certain parts of scripture when you feel the moment you're on it that you're on holy ground. Do you know what I mean? No, not sure. But there are bits of scripture when you sort of know it's kind of God's deep breath. And here we are in John chapter 13 through to the end in God's deep breath. It's as if God, Jesus is saying to his disciples, his followers, and you remember that from the very start of Jesus' ministry, he's been training these guys to take the whole thing on from him. It's, it's, it's called apprenticeship, and that's what he's been doing with them. But you remember, it's almost as if Jesus says, you know, I know these guys are going to forget some stuff. I know that they're going to get some of the details of the miracles the wrong way around, and some of them are going to argue about some of that stuff, and I know some of the encounters they're not going to quite understand, not going to quite get, but this I need you to understand. I need you to get this stuff because you are my succession plan. You're taking the stuff into the world. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. I'm going to breathe on you. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and you're going to take this stuff. So listen very carefully if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, because this is the stuff. And it's freaky. I mean, last week, Jesus... I mean, clearly it wasn't last week for Jesus, what it was, sort of thing. But, but last week, we, <laughs> with Jesus, began to unpack some things in John chapter 13 when Jesus says, this is what it looks like to experience the full extent of my love. This is what it looks like, the goal and ambition of my love. I mean, wow, that's huge stuff, isn't it? If Jesus is there, the Son of God is there, he knows he's got limited time on the earth, and he knows he's trying to download stuff to his disciples, and he says, this is it. This is the full extent of my love. Wow. And he takes his outer clothing off, and he gets a towel, and he wraps it around his waist, and he washes his disciples' feet, which is so disappointing. And then he says to the guys, I want you to do as I did. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. It's about loving people. It's about serving people. It's about stooping for people. It's about taking the lowest place to, to let them experience the love of God. That's what, that's what it's about. So these disciples, they're, they're kind of fried. Really? Really? And then you would hope we get to John chapter 14 and Jesus would kind of let them up. 
and let up on them and say, it's, it's okay, we'll just do something really nice now. But he kind of continues to throw bombs at them. He's going to say, you know, I am the way, the truth, the life, definitive. In a world that's lost its way, I am the way. In the world where the truth is relative, I am the truth. In the world where life is so often a pretense and a shadow, I am life. Get that. And then he says something. John 14, verse 12, which is just weird. And if you, if you hadn't kind of checked it out several times, you'd think, how can that be possibly true? He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Kind of, you know, you can find a way to try and argue that away, and it's not very convincing, but you can try. But, but if you take that as it stands, and however you try and contextualize that, that's mind-frying stuff, isn't it? Four of you think it is. Doesn't it? I mean, that's kind of mind-frying stuff. I kind of will ruin your world. You're going to do the things that I did, and you're going to do even greater things than I did. That's got to worry you just a little bit. And Jesus says that to the disciples. And he knows that that's freaky stuff. So what he does in the rest of John chapter 14, although we know it's not John chapter 14 for Jesus at the time, we just made that up, he, he, he starts to unpack this stuff. He says, I know you are going to find this difficult. So I need you to get how this is possible so you will believe that it's possible and so you could live the impossible possible. I want you to understand that it is possible for heaven to come to earth. I want you to understand that it's possible, and it's exactly what I'm asking you to do, for a little bit of heaven to be experienced in your life as you walk in lockstep with the creator of the world. That's what's going to happen. A little bit of heaven is coming. And I want you to get that stuff. And he unpacks it. Let's read together. John chapter 14. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. He said, how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name. And I will do it. Let's just pray. 
Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us just to get this stuff. It's, it's huge. It's kind of life-changing stuff. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us in this, in this hour to get this stuff so that we would live this stuff. I pray that we would leave this place different because you showed up and transformation happened in our hearts and lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus says, don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Which is kind of a weird thing to say to a bunch of guys who had every right to feel anxious and worried. Just don't be anxious. Don't be worried. I mean, they knew they were the succession plan, and they knew that Jesus was going to die, and he was going away, and they knew they weren't equipped for the job. I mean, they knew they had anger issues. They were the sons of thunder, and they, they knew they had kind of uh, identity issues, and they knew that one of them was a tax collector and one of them was a terrorist, and they, they, they knew that this wasn't going to work in any way, shape, or form. But they were the succession plan, and Jesus says, don't be anxious. You don't need to be worried. It's going to be okay. I've got no idea what's going on in your hearts and lives right now. I don't know each of you personally. I don't know whether you had an amazing week or you've had a sucky week or, or whether there's a whole bunch of grief going on or whether there's pain in your heart and life or whether you're just joyfully happy. But I do know this. We live in a world which is chronically anxious, chronically fearful. Just turn on your TV and you, you'll see it all over the place. Walk the streets of Edinburgh, you'll see it all over the place. People are chronically anxious and chronically worried and chronically fearful, and I don't blame them. It's worrying what's happening in the Ukraine and in Crimea, and if you were sitting tonight in one of the Baltic states, I would be worried about what's going on. What's happening in Russia? If I was living in Syria, I would be worried. If I was living in Uganda and a Christian, I might be worried. If I was living in the Sudan, I might be concerned about what is going on. I have some concerns about what ha what's happening with radical Islam. Islam. I have some concerns. I'm worried. And yet the, the anxiety isn't just a global thing. It's a... It's a personal thing as well, isn't it? You see it all the time. I see, I see people who are anxious about finances and anxious about how they're going to pay the mortgage and anxious about how they're going to have put their kids through university and anxious about what their kids are going to do when they get out of university because they got such a debt. And they're anxious about whether their kids are going to get jobs. And some of you are anxious about whether you're going to get jobs. And you've got no idea what you want to do with your life, but you're under pressure. And how are you going to pay your debt back? And some of you are parents, and you're anxious about how you're parenting your kids in, in, in such a generation where it's increasingly difficult to parent the kids. And, and, and what they see on TV and what they hear through, through the internet and what they, what they see with their eyes. And it's, it's dreadfully worrying. And honestly, I have moments when I'm really, really tempted just to be anxious. How am I going to make it? Is my pension going to work? How, how, how's it, how's it going to how are my kids going to, what's, what's going to, I've got to look after a church and we've got something called movement that's happening and I've got to write a book and I've got to make, how are we going to make this stuff happen? And it's really tempting to feel anxious and worried and concerned and Jesus says, don't be anxious. Here's the thing. So much of the pain and the anxiety and the fear and the heartache is there. And so much of the endless striving is there as a direct result of the fact that we are a displaced people desperately seeking home. 
We're a displaced people. We're desperately seeking home. We're not where we should be. We're looking for something beyond. We know that we belong somewhere else. We're desperately seeking home, and yet with almost every decision we make and every day we live, it's almost as if we're set up and we're hardwired to run from the very one that we're seeking. That's why all the brokenness, and that's why all the anxiety, and that's why all the pain, and that's why all the guilt, and that's why all the grief, and that's why all the worrying in our world, because we are a displaced people, and we're desperately trying to get home. And Jesus says to his disciples, would you just trust me? Would you just trust me? There is another way, which is either the biggest invitation to countercultural living you've ever heard or the sickest joke you've ever encountered. But Jesus says it nonetheless. He says, trust me. If you want to live in this world in a way that is not fearful and not anxious and not concerned the whole time, then then there's only one way to do it. You have to go all in. You have to put all your weight upon me because I'm the only one that can deal with your anxiety and your fear and your concern and your worry. And it may sound difficult for you and it's going to take a leap of faith for you, but it's the only way will you trust me. It's the only way you're going to experience life. You need to know who you were made for and you need to know where you were made for. And it's possible for you to experience joy and peace and grace. And not only that they will fill your life, but they will flow through your life. But you first have to trust me. Jesus says, there is a father. Check it out. There is a father. And for those of us who've hung around church a little bit so that we've kind of got some biblical knowledge, we think, yeah, well, there's a father. Of course, he's a father. But, but those that Jesus is speaking to initially, that's quite an interesting concept for them. Because they, they know that he's talking about God and the God that they worship is all-powerful and almighty and sometimes and often to be feared. He's, he's Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, but he's definitely El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, and he's Jehovah Sabaoth, God of the angel armies. And, 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 and Jesus says, yeah, 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 but you've got to know this. He is all those things, but it comes in the skin of a daddy. That's how it comes. He comes with the skin of a daddy. And so everything that you're concerned about can be provided for. He's interested in detail. He's concerned about your experience. He cares about your anxiety and your upset because he's a dad. He knows your situation because he's experiencing your situation. He understands the heartache because he's a father. He cares about the cancer because he's a dad. There is a father, says Jesus, and he has a house. I know this is simple stuff, but just stay with me. There's a father, and he has a house. And his house is somewhere where he completely presences himself. Somewhere that he calls home. His home is a, is a place of the perfection of his kingdom where God's rule and reign of grace is completely unopposed. Kingdom is all there is in the Father's house. And because kingdom is all there is in the Father's house, nothing that is incompatible with the love and grace and character of the Father is allowed in the Father's house. So in the Father's house, there is no pain and no sorrow and no grief and no sickness and no, and, and, and no abuse and no rejection and no 
abandonment and no separation and no prejudice and no racism, and no homophobia. There's none of that stuff in, in the Father's house because it's incompatible with the person of the Father. There is a Father and he has a house. And here's the thing the Holy Spirit, I think, wants you to hear tonight. The Father's house is your home. Father's house is your home. You were made for this house. You were made to know the Father. And you were made to relate to the Father. And you were made to live in this house. And you were made to, to, to live in and out of this house. You were made to walk in the garden in the cool of the day in a relationship with the Father. You were created in the image of God for the purposes of God to cooperate with the plans of God. You are made for this house. You see, heaven is my home. Yeah? In reality, there is nothing on this earth more misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. And say that again, there is nothing on this earth more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. That's what we're longing for. That's why our hearts break. That's why we're anxious. That's why we're striving. That's why we're broken. That's why we're messed up. That's why we feel guilty. That's because we're just, we're just homesick. We know we don't belong. We know we belong somewhere else. We know we're supposed to be in the Father's house. We just don't know quite how to get there. There is nothing more misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. Don't be worried or upset. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. One has your name on it. One has your name on it. I was uh, about a year ago teaching in, a, in Inverness, and it was midweek, and uh, I was just very, very busy, and I really hadn't prepared as much as I needed to prepare, but I, I had a three-hour train uh, trip, and so I knew that I could prepare, so I got my laptop, and I, I got one of those uh, seats with a table, which are brilliant, uh, because not only can you spread out, but you get extra leg room for long people, and, uh, and I was there, and I was just... I was, I was ready, and you know, I know I needed three solid hours to get myself ready, so when I stood up in Inverness, I was going to be ready to, to preach, and this woman came and sat opposite me, and it was so irritating. Do you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a great pastor, you know, I just sort of, I, I just thought, oh, come on. <laughs> I know what's going to happen here. I've got to work, and I haven't got time. I, I just know what's going to, oh. And of course, she started talking to me. And I, I, I did everything I could to avoid the conversation, but she started the conversation, and we had a conversation, and she started to talk, and I had to put my laptop away and rely on the Holy Spirit for my talk. <laughs> We're sitting there, and she starts to talk, and she tells me this, this incredibly broken tale of her life. She said, I hate Inverness. And if you're here from Inverness, I'm sure Inverness is lovely, but she didn't like it. She said, I just, I hate Inverness. She said, I'm in Inverness because it was the furthest place I could get away from where I lived before. She started to talk about her life and she said, I've run away from my pimp. My pimp, I think, was trying to kill me and certainly he was trying to kill our daughter. And she told a sorry story of, of life where she had been abused and beaten where she didn't know who she was, she felt shame and guilt. She hated where she lived right now and she had no hope. 
And I started talking, she asked me, then what do you do for a job? Um, I'm a teacher. <laughs> I, so I'm, a, I'm a minister of a church, and she then had a rant about the church and how the church had never, ever helped her and always let her down and always condemned her. And, and, and I had this conversation. I said, well, you know, we're not quite like some of those churches and we're doing all this stuff, and it was great. And suddenly the Holy Spirit arrested me, and I sensed him saying, do you know, this woman here doesn't need to know about your church. Doesn't need an apologetic why your church isn't like anyone else's church. She has enough guilt and shame and pain and anxiety and fear and worry in her life for the whole of this congregation plus the carriage and certainly for me and she doesn't need to hear anymore. She certainly doesn't need to know that she's a sinner. She knows perfectly well that she's a sinner. What she needs to know is there is a father in heaven who loves her. And what she needs to know is that the father has a house And what she needs to know somehow, she needs to get connected with the brokenness and the pain, the worry and the anxiety that actually it's homesickness for the father's house. And she didn't know it, but actually what she was was longing to be home. So we started to talk, and I don't think by the end of the train journey she came home, but she came quite close, and I was able to pray for her. And I hope and I pray that actually now she is home in the father's house. She knows him. Guys, this world isn't needing another clever apologetic about why they're wrong and we're right. They don't need that. They just need to know that there is a father who loves them. They just need to see that demonstrated and that communicated and that articulated. There is a father who loves them and that he has a house. And in his house, it is the place of the perfection of the kingdom of God, where everything that God wants, where the rule and reign of God is, it's a place you want to be, and that place is your home. And that what the Holy Spirit is doing right now is he's drawing you home. Isn't that an incredible message? And then Jesus goes and blows it. (laughs) Does it all the time. You know, I'm, I have to say most weeks, if only I'd been there to help Jesus at this moment in time. Because he, he was just like kind of, he was on a roll and it would have preached perfectly in our generation. Our generation, do you like what I did there? It would just preached perfectly in our generation. It would have done because it's so inclusive. The Father has a house, it's home, and you need to come home to the Father, and, and it's available. to there are, there are many, many mansions. There's a mansion for everybody. Come home. And then Jesus says something that suddenly is offensive and exclusive. He says, but there is only one key to the Father's house. There is only one way to the Father's house. There is only one way to come home. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one goes to the Father except they go through me. If you want to find your way to the Father... There's only one that can bridge the gap between an incredibly loving but holy God and an incredibly broken and messed up people, and it's me. I am the way, definitive. I am the truth. I'm the truth about who God is. And the truth that he is a father who loves you and is for you, not against you. And the truth about who you are, you are not all the things that have been said about you. You're not all the post-it notes that have been placed upon your life by the people around you. You are children of the living God, sons and daughters of God created in his image. And he loves you incredibly. And he has gifted you wonderfully. And he calls you to live in and out of the father's house. That's who you are. I'm truth and I'm life. 
I'm life in all its fullness. I'm life abundant. I'm life effervescent. I'm life pouring out. That's who I am. But you'll never come home to the Father's house unless you come through me. And you can. At that point, you know, you'd want to finish the sermon and go, that's amazing. Why don't you just come to the front? We can do ministry right now, the Father's house stuff, and it's going to be amazing. And then Jesus says something. I need to show you this. He says something more, and this is magnificent. Jesus says something that's going to fry you. He says, why don't you trust me? And out of the security of the Father's house, why don't you jump? Why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust the Father's house? Why don't you come into the Father's house? And now why don't you jump? Why don't you leap? I'm not inviting you to the Father's house just as a place of safety, but as a place of participation and involvement and adventure. I'm not asking you to come to the Father's house so just that it will be okay for you. I want you to come into the Father's house to know the fullness of the Father's house so that you can participate in making it okay for a whole stack of other people as well. Philip says, um, Jesus shows the Father. And Jesus, in the gentle way that he does, slightly rebukes him and says, Really? Doesn't actually say really, but I think, Really? Really, Philip? If you don't don't hang around and not see that I'm in the Father, Father's in me. And I think Jesus says, Well, we can talk about that, and I'm the Father, Father's in me. But what I really want to get to is this verse 12. Have you ever drilled down into certain portions of Scripture and not believed it? You've got to think, really? How does that work? Verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Could you believe that? Are we taking it? Could it be really true? Jesus says, when, when I healed the blind man and I made the lame man walk, when I offered people personal salvation and forgiveness of sin, when I, when I raised the dead, you get to do exactly these things, only greater. I mean, could it be true for the woman on the train to Inverness, at the moment that she came home to the Father's house, could that be true for her? You're going to do the things that I did, and you're going to do even greater things, because that's a game changer right there, if that's true. I mean, that's just a complete game changer. That changes the way we position ourselves. It changes the way we think about ourselves. It changes the way we think about this. It changes the way the possibilities for mission in this city and this nation. Because if this is true, then everything is up for grabs. And I, and I, and I know that it's not just all about the miraculous signs and wonders. Because I'm, I'm sensible and I'm clever enough to know that healed people got sick again. I know that. I know, I, I know that raised people died again. I know that, I know that the people who received the, the 5,000 people with the loaves and fishes, they got hungry again. I, I, I know it wasn't some kind of miraculous fish and bread thing that Jesus did and they never had to eat again. They said, it's amazing, I'm not hungry. You know, Tesco's will be out of business if that, all that kind of stuff was happening. I, I, I know that that's not happening. I, I know that, that these things happened as a sign 
of who God is and what God is all about, that he's compassionate and gracious and giving and loving and he can do incredible things and he he loves people and he meets them at their point of need. I know that what we're supposed to see is a viral epidemic of love and compassion and mercy and grace in the style of Jesus by the people of Jesus and the greater things is because there's so many of us. I understand all that stuff, but you cannot write this stuff out. The miraculous stuff is still the miraculous stuff. Believe that? I mean, you can't, you cannot write this stuff out of the Bible. Listen, we are supposed to, in the power of the Spirit of God, look like Jesus. And when we begin to look like Jesus, the sick will get healed. That's what happens. The prophetic will get spoken, the miraculous will happen. And it's beginning to happen. I don't know about you, but I get the impression that God is up to something in this nation. I know he's always up to something in this nation. I'm not that stupid. But, but I get the impression that he's really up to something. That something is stirring. And, and I'll tell you why he's up to something. And I'll tell you why it's around this supernatural stuff. Because he knows that he has been taken out of the equation. And he knows that's why our society is busted. He knows that the religious high ground has been claimed by Islam. He knows that liberal secularism has won the day and then wrecked the day. He knows that the plausibility structures in our nation are all godless. And yes, he's called us to works of service and an epidemic of the love of God, but he's also called us to recapture the philosophical plausibility of the gospel. It's not good enough for us just to say, well, the radical atheists can have their day and they can say whatever they want to say and we're just going to love people and it'll be, it'll be fine. No, no, no. What this nation needs to see is a demonstration of the greater things. I'll tell you why. Because you can misunderstand my motive and you can disagree with my premise and you can hate my philosophy, but you cannot deny that the person who was sick is now well. And you can't deny that the blind man sees and the drug addict is dry. And the guy that came to faith on Sunday is having their life transformed so that by the next Sunday things are different. And you can't deny that this street is different because the crime rate has gone down. Because Jesus is active and at work. You know, we should see acts of the supernatural on every street corner of every town and every city in this nation because we've got a flipping church on every street corner, haven't we? We've got buildings that look like like some kind of monuments to a once dead king on every street corner in this city and in this nation. Well, people don't need to see that. People need to see an epidemic of the miraculous works of the saviour of the world. Because we're doing the greater things. Not because we're up ourselves, but because that's just what Jesus asked us to do and told us we would do. Jesus said, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. You can do this stuff. You should be doing this stuff. Because there is a father. He has a house. And his house is home. And when you begin to live in and out of the security of the father's house, you begin to carry some of the father's stuff and that's what happens 
And just in case your mind is still fried, Jesus says to them, don't worry about it. I'm sending someone who's better than me. I just said that. Verse 15, I'm sending someone who's better than me. And I go, what? And you go, what? No, 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 it's really good that I go away because if I go away, I can send the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit comes, he can dwell in your hearts and in your lives and he can do something in you that's gonna rise up and come out of you and suddenly you're gonna be my hands and feet and mouthpiece. It's called the body of Christ in this world known as the church. That's what's gonna happen. God, I think these guys are sitting listening to this stuff, homesickness, Displaced, Father's got a house and a home. And their minds are taken back to a story that Jesus told. It's perhaps his most famous story. He tells a story about two displaced sons. They come to, one of them comes to the father and says, Father, I'm, I'm sick of your li- you living. I want my inheritance right now. And he runs away to the far country. You know the story well. He's the prodigal son. And he spends all the money and he, he has wild time and he wastes all his money and then he comes to his senses and he comes back to the Father and it's an incredibly beautiful story of the love and compassion and restoration and forgiveness of the Father and the Son is welcomed back into the Father's house. But there is another Son and he's equally displaced. And he's been hanging around the Father's house for quite a while. But there is something about the way that he is engaged out of duty and not out of joy, out of religion and not out of relationship, and he has never enjoyed the security and the wonder of living in the Father's house. And Jesus says, the Father says, you are anxious about many things. Why don't you come in and enjoy the feast? When I was a a, a little kid, just a few years ago. Primary school. The best part of the day, apart from milk time, most of you won't remember milk time, but milk time, we used to do this thing called milk for primary school kids. I don't know if any of you ever had that, but they were in little bottles, and it was wonderful, apart from the days when the teachers left them out in the sunshine, and it wasn't wonderful, it was horrible. And you had these little green straws. I don't know if this happened in Scotland, but it happened in England. You had these little green straws, and we had this stuff, and then Margaret Thatcher did something with the milk and took it all away, <laughs> which is a non-political comment. She can do whatever she wants. She was the prime minister. And, uh, but, but, but she took my milk. <laughs> <laughs> The second part that was great about the day was home time. I loved home time. Home time, you got your table, you got the chairs, and you put them on the tables. It's the only time you're ever allowed to put chairs on tables. I think there was some cleaning stuff that happens. I've never worked that out. But chairs on tables. And then it was home time. We got to sing a song for home time. We did. We all had to sing. We're going home. We're going home. We're going home to mum and dad. <laughs> it's time to go. <laughs> we sang the song. Ridiculous. I don't know why I sang it just now. But I sense that what Jesus is saying is it's home time. It's home time. It's home time. Those of you who are anxious and upset and worried and you've never ever trusted in Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, it's home time. It's home time. The only answer to your anxiety 
is proximity to the Father and living out of the Father's house. That's the only answer and the only way in is Jesus. And if you haven't yet received Jesus, you haven't yet said, I want to place my weight on you, I'm all in, then you're never going to live in any other way other than anxiety and worry and fear and concern. It's home time. It's come home time. And others of you, you, you know, you, you, you've come home at different stages, but actually what ha- what's happened is that you, you've ended up in the Father's field and not in the Father's house. And so you know Jesus and you've accepted him way truth in the life, but actually you live not, not as an adopted son, but as an orphan, and you, you struggle with all this kind of stuff, and you don't know what it means to live in the Father's house. You don't know what it means to have security, and you find yourself anxious the whole time, and you don't know what's going to happen with this, and you don't know how that's going to work, and Jesus says, hey, it's home time. It's home time. So you will never live in the greater things. And you will never do the things that Jesus did. And you'll never do even greater things. And you'll never be the impact that God wants you to be in this world. You know, and this is for that stuff. You'll never be that until you stand your weight upon the person of Jesus and you live in the Father's house. It's home time. It's home time, guys. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Come now, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I was praying about this this afternoon and I sensed God saying that there were some men here who are going to be here this evening who find it really hard to live with boldness and courage and to take their place as leaders in the family of God's people because they have never let God love them. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. In the sense God's saying as well that, that there, are, there are one or two here tonight who've been around the family of God's people but they've never put their full weight on Jesus. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. Can I ask you to do something as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed? If, if either of those categories are you, if, if either of those people are you that God is speaking to, I'd love you just to raise your hand. You don't have to do anything more public than that right now. Just raise your hand and I'd love just to pray for you. Just raise your hand right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bless you, bless you, bless you, thank you. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. One, two more. Thank you, yeah, the back. Thank you. Father, I thank you that you're a dad. Thank you that you know all these guys intimately. Thank you that you know their hearts and you love them passionately. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come right now and you'd bring the love of the Father and the security of the Father's house. I pray for those who are saying, I want to follow Jesus. That they would stand their weight right now on Jesus. Not relying upon themselves, but relying upon him. And Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come. And minister to them. Thank you, Lord.
Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What we're going to do, right, let's stay in that place. What we're going to do, the bands are going to come. And in just a moment, we're going to share, um, we're going to share bread and wine. And we're going to do it in a very, very different way. So I'll explain and talk you through all of that. But I want to allow just a, uh, a few minutes for us to respond to Jesus before we come around the table to celebrate and to enjoy one another. God's been speaking to your heart. And you know, I, I, I sensed when I was preaching this morning, and I sensed it again this evening, that this is a, it's what I would call a, a breakthrough message. It's the kind of message where God breaks some stuff and says, I'm, you know, you, you've been faffing around and hanging around, and this is what I've got you for. But in order to go for this, there's been, got to be some stuff that gets broken and some, some bounds that get snapped some freedom that comes. And I think God wants to bring some freedom and he wants to bind some of the works of the enemy that would say, no, 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 that's too emotional, that's too much, that's too, you, know, you, you, you have to control yourself. No, 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 God's doing something. So as we worship Jesus, just let him come. And the prayer team are gonna be to my right and uh, to your left. And why don't you just come and uh, we, we will just flow into communion in just a moment and I'll explain it. But let's, if God's doing something, let's just let, it, let him come. Let's let it happen. Don't leave here without doing business with the God that says, I'm a father and I have a house in his home and you need to come home. So let's stand together and let's worship. Prayer team are gonna be there.